All right, so we're on lesson 82. This is what God wants. It's my uh, lesson section because we're going to look at uh, this is the fullness of the desire of God. For all eternity, God has longed for something, not, not because he was empty or missing or crippled or whatever. It wasn't that there was something wrong in him. It's that he longed for this because of what it would be for us. And uh, God, in eternity past, determined to create man, woman, then knowing that they would fall, bring forth a plan of redemption, and then bring those people to him, cleansed, who by faith believed in him. Then he began the creation of the universe. Isn't that incredible? So before there was anything, God knew what he wanted. And Revelation 21 is it. This is it. So, we're looking not at just the completion of, you know, a book of the Bible, not just the completion of a series of events of the end time. This is the completion of everything that God has desired. That is, man, his greatest creation, his crowning achievement, brought to his own heart and his place and his presence. So... Uh, we're going to start here in chapter 21 and verse 3. We're skipping verse 2, uh, which is about the church, the bride, New Jerusalem, because that will connect when we get to verse 9. And so then verse 9 takes us into a deeper study of the, of the bride. So we'll look at that, uh, the church, the New Jerusalem, uh, in our next session. And by the way, uh, we're going to um, cancel classes for next week. It is the week for our kids camp. They're going to be using rooms and I don't want to um, have to rearrange this room if they need to use it for uh, activities or something. Uh, hopefully it would like pour rain for a couple days next week would be wonderful uh, and they'd have to stay inside but anyway so so that they can use this and and uh, all of our staff will be around all the day so anyway uh, along with that believe with us it's going to be an excellent uh, children's camp uh, last year they had seven children saved and uh, so we're believing for that kind of numbers I know uh three little families that I've helped to support to come to camp, um, that their little ones don't go to church, and this could be their opportunity. So anyway, it's a good opportunity, and um, Christina's put together a great camp program for them, and it's pretty exciting. So um, let's go back here, Revelation 21, and then starting in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He said, I thought we were past all those really nasty verses. Why is this? Why is this even in here? We'll talk about that. All right. So we hear again uh, another one of these glorious announcements. This is, these have been going on throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, many of them are preceded with this word, behold, or look, or a loud voice. And so this is the last of 20 occasions where this, I heard a loud voice, is found in the book of Revelation. So go back and look at all of those, all these different things. And now what's significant is you see in verse 3, he's hearing from someone from the throne, a loud voice coming from the throne, but it's talking about God in the third person. Then in verse 5 through 7, it's God speaking in the first person. So this transition takes place in there, and what's interesting is it's God that says to him, write this down. It's like, I don't know, one commentary brought this up and I thought it was pretty good. It's like John is so captivated by everything that he's seeing, it's like he forgot to write. So, I don't know, but God just says, write this down. This is trustworthy or faithful and true. We'll talk a little bit more about that. In his declaration, it is done. It's done. So, let's uh, begin with this, this statement, and I heard a loud voice from the throne, this loud voice Again, we've talked about this from the beginning. It's the Greek word for loud is mega, so megaphone, right? Um, however, we want to put mega on the beginning of something, uh, but it's not loud in the sense of volume is not the issue. Though, though I'm sure volume is there. It's the significance. It's not to be set aside, not to be missed, is pay attention. This is something that is significant that it must be heard. It's not to be avoided. It's not to be uh, ignored. It's a loud voice. Listen. And so this is something that John, I'm sure, is filled with all kinds of of wonder and awe, which we'll talk about in a coming lesson, uh, the wonder of all that he is seeing. 
And I'm sure that that is quite distracting. And uh, it, it would be to me. I would just be looking. <laughs> just, I don't know about you. I'd just be looking. I mean, look at this and wondering and and realizing things that I never even thought could exist. And yet, you need to hear this. You need to pay attention. Pay attention. And so that's really the significance of the loud. It's probably one of the angelic messengers later on uh, were told directly that one of the voices that he's hearing, look down at verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues. So, here specifically in verse 9, chapter 21, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me. So here's a more specific, this is this, is this angel that's speaking. And throughout these, these 20 occasions where this speaking has taken place, once in a while they are identified, other times it's just, I, I can't tell who's talking, but it's coming from the throne of God. So, this angelic mediator, and, and he's there carrying a very important message to John. And so their, their work consistently has had to do with what God is doing, what he's going to do, um, God's presence, just to draw attention to the very presence of God, uh, to speak of, of a plan that God has laid out and something that John needs to know. What is all of this about? This is about John telling the believers of his day God has a plan. God has a plan. And so John is to know that all of these things are in God's hands. I know you're stuck on Patmos. And I know there's a man named Domitian who's ruling in Rome. And he, he is taking out his anger and his vengeance on the church. He hates everybody, but it just seems that Christians are a good person for him to to uh, persecute so he's laying it on the church because they won't recognize him as emperor and on and on and it's like he's having a, a little temper tantrum like a two-year-old you know it's just just throwing his toys and whatever and it but his toys are deadly and there's trouble all over the empire and because Domitian is so distracted there's all kinds of trouble within the empire and all these things are going on it kind of sounds like some things going on today, but I'll just move on from that. It's, it's a reason for Christians to wake up and trust God. I have this in control. So God has laid this out from the beginning. And God has told John from the very start... I know what's going on. I know what's going on in the churches. I know what's going on in these different situations. I've got a plan for what's going to happen. Here's the seven-year plan, <laughs> which 
you, no one on the earth is going to like, um, and you don't have to go through it. And so tell your friends, get on board, and they won't have to go through it either, right? And so that here's what's going to take place. But through all of that, did the Antichrist win? Did the beast win? Did Satan win? No. They, it's seven years, and it was going to be over. And in the midst of all of that, Satan is supposed to be in control. He's supposed to be ruling, but the earth is falling apart. He's empowered. And he's got all this power, and he's got all this influence, and he's got a beast and a false prophet and, and demons working for him and fallen angels, you know, that are going around. the and, and his kingdom is falling apart. He can't stop an earthquake. He can't stop the fires from burning. He can't stop the drought. He can't stop the famines. None of the things that are going on. He has no control except over his little realm of saying, I am the greatest and everybody has to worship me. And he uses the, the harlot. <laughs> and then when he's tired of her, he has her put to death. It's, it, it, he's useless. Useless. But the Christians see all this. And this passage is about comfort for their hearts. It's not just that when you die, you're going to get to heaven. But... Here's what's going to happen on this earth. And in the ultimate eternity, God's going to rule. And I know the issue of sovereignty is a big thing right now. And there's ministers all over that saying, you know, we need to back up from this sovereignty. Because all they see when we say sovereignty is God chooses who he wants to be saved. But that's not, that's not it. Who decided that only through faith in Jesus Christ can we be saved. Who decided that? That's God's sovereign plan, right? But who chose Jesus? Who chose him? You did. So you had that right, but could you choose another God? No. See, God is sovereign. He didn't make you be saved, and he's going to send other people to hell, that's, that's not the issue of sovereignty. The issue of sovereignty is God rules. And yeah, I know, the devil. But the devil can't do anything that God has not given him the leash, can I put it that way? The leash to do. So, all of these things is, is what is significant the divine voice will speak here in, in verse 5 and on, but before we get to that, there's a couple things that he wants him to look at. So, verse uh, 3 continues, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Talked a little bit more about that. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. It's like, well, isn't it? Isn't that already true? Aren't we with God? God's with us. And... All right, hold on. The first thing it says is look. This is that word again. This has been used time and again. We translate it behold. 
It could be translated look as in most translations. It's a cry of triumph. It's a cry of revelation. Look! And it's to direct your attention to something. If it's not that enough that there was this loud voice, now the loud voice says, look! I want you to see this. I want this to be what your attention is on. So again, it's directing the attention. It's a command to open your eyes. Give full attention to, to what is going on. What God is presenting, what he's showing, what he's saying. All the things that God wants to do. Pay attention. Look. And he's used this all the way back to the beginning of the book. Behold. Because what we're seeing is not what we have desired. It's what God has desired for us. And the reason we have that desire is because God put it in us. Ecclesiastes 3.11, I use this verse a lot in funeral services. There's time for this, a time for that, right? You know, all the time for this and all those things. Pardon me. <clears throat> But in verse 11, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And God has set eternity in your hearts. God has set eternity in the heart of man. God has set a plan inside of mankind to want something more. Man didn't come up with the desire. God put it in him. The desire for eternity. Now, where did he go with it? Where's man gone with this desire for eternity? To substances, to pagan gods, to philosophies, to education, to self-grandizement. Uh, all kinds of things man has done with this desire for eternity, but nothing satisfied it. Oh, yeah. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's exactly that. I tried everything. Really, everything that Solomon could try. Nothing. It's all meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Until he finally comes to the end of the book. And he realizes, you know, there's nothing significant in this world. There's only God and turns it around. Solomon had a mess in his life, but in the end, he got redirected. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. So this desire for eternity is something that God has set in the heart of man. Uh, at the top of your next page, I, I put three little statements down here. It's a, it is a presence that has not been before. In other words, God's, what God is going to do is I'm going to show you. I want you to see the dwelling place of God is with man. Well, that has been. No, no, this is, this is different than what has been. It's different from what was in creation. Was God there at creation? Yeah. But this isn't that. Was God in Eden? Can you imagine we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in their innocence. 
It doesn't say. It just skips from chapter 2 to chapter 3. And one day there's this serpent talking to them. But they walked with God in the cool of the day. How long did they do that? I don't know. We, we have no clue to that. But they did for a while. Can you imagine that? God coming down in the... Would there just be a cool of the day? I would be happy with a cool of the day. I don't know when that is. Get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and it's 97 degrees. It's like, what? So anyway, but God came down and walked with them. I, I, I can't imagine. But you know what? This isn't that. This is more than that. Because this is something that is altogether different. God drawing man to his full glorious presence. It's more than the God with us. God with us, what was that about? About who? You just said it, Emmanuel, God with us. But what was that about? Jesus on the earth. God with us. He walked with mankind. How many of you desired to go back there and, and, and walk with Jesus? There's somebody, how, how many of you? Just like, I read, I read a story and I think, man, I wish I would have been there. I would have loved to just, you know, can you imagine just one of those miracles? Or just one day walking a trail. You know, if God gave me just one day just to walk a dusty trail, I'm, that'd be glorious. Rick Renner did a study one time. He said if you analyze all of the individual accounts of Jesus' interaction and sayings and all those things that he did in the four Gospels, you only have 83 individual days that are mentioned. Out of his entire life, 83 individual days. Seven of those are the last week. And so, it's pretty amazing that that's so few days. What was he doing all those other days? Well, what John said, if everything that Jesus did was written, the books could not contain them. So, that would have been glorious. But this is more than that. That's, that would have been so much. I read the story, one of my favorite stories, is the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. After Jesus' resurrection, he's walking and he joins these two guys. Brain dead, but no, not really, <laughs> sorry. They're, they're so caught up in their grief and distracted that they can't, even recognize who's walking with them. And there were some of his disciples, not, not the twelve, but the others. They could have recognized him. He talked with them. It says he talked with them about everything, starting from Moses. Wow! <laughs> Getting the Bible review 
from the lips of Jesus. That'd been pretty incredible, right? This is more than that. This is more than that. What about God in us? That's where we are today. Is God in us? And we're in Him? And that's a glorious and wonderful thing. But you know what? <laughs> this is more than that. This isn't, this isn't just a new birth experience with God inside. This is being in the full, glorious presence of God. Beyond anything our minds can really conceive. But you know what it is? It's what God wants. It's exactly what God wants. I got this from one of my commentaries. Moses sought it. God forbade it. Jesus promised it. John described it. But we will realize it. That's coming. One of these days. So it says in the rest of that verse, and he will dwell with them. And again, this is not as God dwelt with them during the time of the tabernacle or the temple. Those were symbols, they were shadows. Did God come in? Yeah, but not in his full glorious presence. His light came in, the, the Shekinah presence. Now, which that's, that word's not in the Bible. Did you know that? The word Shekinah isn't there. Uh, it's what the Old Testament Hebrews described as this glorious presence. So it's a, it's a word made up to describe this outshining, the radiance of when God would come upon something. And it's, it's a reference to his manifest presence, but that's not his full glorious presence. So God would come. Ezekiel 48, verse 35, speaking of a time in the millennium. And he uses the name Jehovah Shammah. I am there. Jehovah, I am there. I am present. There's going to be a day when the fullness of God is present with us. He will dwell with us with them. Now John says in John 1:18, no one has seen God at any time. You say, well, that was before the new birth. No, John's writing that 60 years after Jesus' death. No one has seen God at any time. The only God, love this passage, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So God is made him known to us. Jesus has made himself known to us, but we have never experienced the fullness of God. Paul saw a radiant light and heard a sound. To him, he heard the words. To the people around him, all they heard was a loud noise. The distinction is there in the book of Acts. Paul heard words. They heard a sound. But it wasn't the fullness of God. John 5.37 says, And the Father who sent me has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice 
you have never heard. His form you have never seen. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. How many think you say, well, I've heard the voice of God, but not like you're going to. Because what we hear is, for lack of a better term, filtered. It's filtered just like the sun is filtered by the atmosphere. So the voice of God is filtered by this earth and the elements that are here, by our own minds. But there's going to be a day when we will hear him perfectly. Paul says, we see in a glass darkly. I mean, I see him, but it's still kind of cloudy, smoky. It's not perfect. It's warped a little bit. It's, I see myself disfigured. I see God is kind of a disfigured, because that's how we see But there will be a day when we will see him face to face in all of his glory. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word radiance is, is the Greek word for brightness. Jesus is the brightness or the literally the outshining from God. I love it when I'm either I'm driving and you see in the clouds, you know, the, the rays coming down. We saw them Sunday morning as we were on our way in to church. Or I doing photography and I'm in a place where it's dusty and there's shadows and sunlight and it makes those rays in the dust that's there, the mist or fog, if you can capture it. That's the same Greek word. It's that outshining. We've seen the rays, but we, we can't look into the sun. But we will. And so if God is, is like the fullness of the sun, what we've seen is the rays. That's how we see him. He's the exact imprint. The Greek word is character. That's the exact Greek word, character, which means an impressed image bearing exact likeness. It's, it's, it's where they take a, a piece of soft metal and they strike it with an imprint so that it's literally engraved in there. They didn't do engraving like we do. They struck it with a heavy mallet and made the imprint in the softened metal. That's what Jesus is. He's the exact image. But what we've seen is the coin, not the hammer. Right? Does that make sense? We've, we've seen what has been imprinted, but we haven't seen the thing that makes the imprint. We haven't seen Jesus in his fullness. But people did when Jesus walked on the earth, didn't they? No. No. Well, what about the, the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Didn't they see everything? No, the brightness was shining, and they really couldn't see much at all. All they saw was the outshining 
the brightness of God, and that was because God allowed this to come forth. So, this is what they have seen. And then he goes on to say, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. The Greek word for nature is this word, hypostasis, which means the unseen reality behind what is apparent. The unseen reality. He's the, he's the unseen thing in the nature of God. God's nature, the fullness of all of His character, cannot be seen, but what we see is, is what's out front. And so Jesus is that, that out front thing, but behind it is the reality. People saw Jesus the man, but they didn't see the fullness of who he was. He was more than the man that they saw. And so in mankind's encounter with God during this space we've had on earth from Adam all the way to the last person when the Lord comes in his glory. All that all of that is is people seeing the hypostasis. They've they've just seen that part that God wants them to see, but they've not seen the full reality that is behind it. Because everything that man has seen is just a part. Jesus came and made God known. And so he came to expose God to mankind. But people looked at him and put him to death. They didn't, everybody didn't see it. And so there was more to Jesus than what people could see. There's more to Jesus than what we have felt as God has spoken to our hearts. We saw Jesus, but not the fullness of his glory. But we will. Isn't that glorious? <laughs> we will. Then it goes along and it says, and, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. A little bit more about that below. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, the, your ESV or most of your translations say God will wipe away all, all tears. Actually, in the Greek language, it's very specific. It's singular, every tear. Every tear. The Bible tells us in Psalm, and I, for, I forgot to write this reference down, but in, in one of the Psalms it says God collects our tears in a bottle. That God saves our tears, every tear. God knows. Now, what's, what's unfortunate is a lot of people have, have tried to interpret this. This is, you know, the remorse that we're going to have for what we didn't do, uh, remorse for the mistakes that we've made, remorse for the sins that we've committed. No, it's not about that. Read it. It's not about that at all. What's it all about? Suffering. It's all about the suffering we've gone through in this earth, the hurts. The pains, the individual things. Listen, God knows what hurts us. He created us. You think God doesn't know the pain that you're going through, the hurts that you have, the disappointments that are here? 
the loneliness that you feel? You think God doesn't know that? He knows it. And it is remembered. And what's he going to do? Wipe away every tear. I don't know if that means commentaries were different on this. I don't know if that means that God is going to help us as every individual thing comes to our mind that we have suffered in this life. I can't imagine that that's a lot of stuff. Children that are unwanted, children that have been discarded, people that have been abused, losses that have been endured, trials, great pressure, disappointments, all that junk that we faced in this earth. God is going to wipe away every tear. This is not about your failures. There's nothing in here about failure. And I hate it when people insert things that aren't there. And they make us feel like, you know, God's going to review and you're going to see all the junk that you didn't do and you're going to have to, you know, and there's going to be weeping in heaven because you have, you know, and I got, I got into believing that for a period of time. And then I started reading verses and I thought, that's not what the Bible says. It's like, I can't find that. It's just like for a while I believed that speaking in tongues was not from God. Until I began reading the Bible about it. And the Bible says it is. And so, okay, there it is. It's like, what am I going to do? So, this expression, all tears, means everything that we have gone through. Everything. And so, this idea is that the things that we have suffered in this life or for Christ's sake, he knows. And then look what it says at the end of that verse. Bottom of your page two. The former things. What things? All those things that you suffered. The mourning, the crying, the pain. The former things. Those things. Those things. That stuff will all pass away. We've used that phrase before, passed away. The heavens and earth had passed away. They're gone. All gone. They're just gone. And it's, it, it's not like you have to put it away. It's just gone. Now the crying and the tears seem to be significant of different things. Crying is vocal. Tears are silent. We've had them both, haven't we? And we see those things. And the, the believers that John is writing to, you think they're not feeling this? Some of their family members put to death? The father have to watch his children put to death in front of him because he won't bow down to the emperor? Can, can you imagine? How, how do you not... How do you not give in? Recant your faith. How do you not? When other people are suffering because you would, won't give up. You read the stories of, of some of the, the great men and women of God who brought the Bible to us. The suffering that they went through. 
burned at the stake just for having a Bible. Incredible. But you know what? It's gone. The pain is gone. The hurt is gone. But I saw in this something else that's significant to me. All the things that have have affected this sorrow and tears, they're all gone. But one of the one of the great issues that faces humanity is who pays. Who pays for this? Revenge. I want I want them to suffer. Our ability to disregard a suffered wrong is the way I wrote it there. To set aside isn't that what so much of our upheaval in our society, our culture, our wars, ethnic strife. The people can't even remember what it's about. But it's there. Ireland, you got the orange and the green. And put a bomb in people's homes. Put a bomb in a church. Because they're orange people. And we're green people. So let's kill them. Because they killed some of ours. Same gang mentality that's on the streets of our cities that you just a drive by. Oh, <laughs> we shot the wrong house. Eh, so what? Collateral damage. It just happens. But now somebody's got to get back at you. You got to get back at them. And this just goes on and on and on. It has since Cain and Abel. And we can't get past this. But you know what in heaven? It's all gone. All gone. One of the greatest things that affected me in my, my Christian growth and it affected me for years in, in, in a hidden way was abuse that I had suffered. But one day I saw Jesus paid that price not just for my sin and the other person's sin but for what that other person did to me he died because of what that person did to me he endured that now I still got the memory and there's a lot of people that can't get past that and there's been abuse or there's been rejection or there's been suffering and they can't get past it. But you know what? Here, when we get to this day, it's all gone. The memory of it, the record of it, the, the remorse for, for not being able to get back, all of that, gone. It will all have passed away. Now, turning page number three. God's declaration. So God now takes over. And in some ways he repeats what the angel said. Why we got to repeat this? Because this is significant. 
it's vital that we get this, that we are going to dwell in the glorious presence of God beyond anything that our minds have ever conceived. So it says in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So notice the distinction between what was in the earlier verses and what's in this verse. There it was, he will do those things. He will dry every tear. He will. He will. Here it's, I will. And this is God speaking directly to John. Wow. That's powerful. Now, some wonder, different commentaries, is this God the Father speaking? Is it Jesus speaking? All right, it's God. You know, if it's Jesus, good for that. If it's the Father, good for that. Personally, I believe it's the Father because that seems to be more, when Jesus speaks, it seems to be more identified, but not every time. But does it really matter? I don't care who's talking. <laughs> it's what they're saying that's important. Amen. And again, it starts with what word? Behold. You just said that. Yeah, but you didn't behold it enough. <laughs> you weren't paying enough attention. It hasn't really grabbed you. You heard it. You wondered at it. But it hasn't really impacted you yet. Well, listen to me. Behold, I am making all things new. Not I am restoring everything. Not I am refining everything. Not I am fixing everything. I am making all things new. That's why all that former stuff is gone. For the former things have passed away. There is no tears. There's no For the former things have passed away. There's no sorrow. There's no mourning. There's no death. For the former things have passed away. And why are they passed away? Because God said so. Gone. Just by his word. Gone. All of it. Not even your mind able to bring it back. It's gone. All those former things, gone. And also he said, write this down. John, pay attention. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe he just wanted to make sure that what John was hearing he wrote. Write this down as if John wasn't writing it down, but I don't know if I was you, I'd just be sitting there with my mouth open and just looking. Why? Write it down, why? Because these words are what? Trustworthy, actually better translation, faithful. Faithful and true. Trustworthy and true pretty much says the same thing. But faithful is a better word for this word trustworthy. Faithful. These words are faith. You can put your faith in this and they're true. 
They are real. These are God's words. This is not man's idea. This is not John having some kind of hallucination on the island because he hasn't had enough water or enough food or whatever. And, you know, he's off on some trip, maybe eat a strange mushroom or something, whatever. But doesn't matter what it is. God is saying, no, this is true. I am faithful. I'm faithful. How often does God try to say that to us? I've said this before. When you look at the way man has described God from the beginning to the end of the Bible, the most common thing that man says about God, that the angels say about God, is that he's holy. He's different. The Greek word holy, altogether different. Separate. I like to use the word exclusive. There is no one like our God. Nothing like him. And here's one of the things that makes him exclusive. The number one thing God says about himself, I'm faithful. Over and over. Why does God have to say that to us? Why does God say over and over that he's faithful? Because so much of our world is not. Faithfulness is something that is exclusive. It's something that we should be fully aware of. God is faithful. If he said it, he will do it. And what he says is true. It's not made up. It's not fluff. It's not pie in the sky someday by and by it's not you know maybe maybe this or maybe that no it's true if God has said this but it doesn't make sense we're going to talk about a, a city that in in reality physically according to the physics of this world cannot be built there it is Oh, well, Siri, you know what? Neither do I. As the greatest Siri ever. I don't understand either. Well, even Siri's smart enough to get that. So, did I say Siri? Did I? All right. That's too good. That was just... Perfect. I need to end the class right there with that. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. I wonder if she's ever born again. But anyway. So, God wants John to know that what I'm saying is it's not made up. This is not a comic. I had a professor at my Baptist University, yes. Head of the Old Testament department. He said, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation are like comic books. They weren't meant to be believed. There were stories made up to be like the myths of the pagans and all this. This man was the head of the Old Testament department at the Baptist University. Yes, I just said that. Thank you, Siri. But... 
people can write it off because it doesn't seem right. It's too much for our mind. But there it is. He's faithful and true. And what does he say? Out of his faithfulness and truthfulness. He's going to dwell with us. He's going to be where we are. And the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God. The word dwelling comes from the Greek word skene, from which we get the word tent or tabernacle. And this word has been used throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. Jesus, at one point, it says Jesus tabernacled among us. Right? Paul talks about we have this tent, this tabernacle that we live in. This word tabernacle has been used over and over. Once in a while the word building is used, but for the most part it's tabernacle. Why, Why tent? Because the places where the word tent is used is because it's not supposed to be permanent. God was in the tent, but the tent was not permanent. The temple was. But what happened in the temple? Paganism entered in. They, they built altars to pagan gods right in the temple of God. And their priests were worshiping these pagan gods right alongside the Holy of Holies and the Ark of God. It was a place where people went to where the tent moved. Why? Because the presence of God is not stagnant. He moves with us. Paganists, they have their temples. They have a building where their God resides. Our God lives in a tent. Abraham moved his tent. Isaac, Jacob, they moved their tents from place to place. And where they went, what? God went. The tabernacle of Moses moved from here to there, from here to there. And where that tent went, God went. So the dwelling place of God that has moved throughout the earth, that dwelling place that has been temporary here and there and seen and then not seen and appeared and not appeared, but it was just a shadow of the real because the dwelling place of God is finally going to be with man. It's not the dwelling place of man is with God. It's the dwelling place of God is with man. And this is God bringing us into his glorious presence so that we can behold the fullness of his glory as it says the Shekinah presence of God. Let me just finish with the bottom half of page three. And he said, again, this is God's voice, it is done. It's done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So that all of us will be in this presence. The word, it is done, it's one word in the Greek language. And the, the tense of the word means that it wasn't, and then it was done. It, it's like it didn't even exist, and then when it's brought into existence, it's over. It's done. But then what is done continues. It's called a perfect tense, and so it goes on. The doneness of it, not the action of being done. It's, it's done, it's over. But the presence of its being done, the reality of its being done, continues on and on and on. For how long? Forever. <laughs> yeah, it's done. In other words, it's not going to be done again. It's not going to be relived again. There are religions that are branched off of Christianity and people have pulled things off and it says now now that we have been redeemed here, now we're going to go to some other planet, we're going to go somewhere else and we're going to redeem that planet. So we're going to go and redeem the Klingons, right? Or the Cardassians, not the family, but the planet. <laughs> All right, the family, no, I'm sorry, just move on, Jeff, move on. But, no, it's over. It's over. What's over? God's not over. God's going to continue doing things in our presence, showing us his goodness, his glory, his abundance, his grace. For all eternity, God is going to be exposing all the things that he has done for us, showing us the greatness of his character and his person and his reality and it's going to go on forever that's pretty cool but as far as the work to bring us there done there's no more work to redeem us there's no more work to secure us it's done it's over so john is telling these Christians who are under incredible pressure and trial in their life. Hey, there's going to be a day when this is done. Now, he didn't use the Greek word for finished. And that's kind of significant because it's not that he's wanting here to emphasize the process. He's wanting here to emphasize the doneness, the reality. It's over. Everything necessary to bring man into my presence, done. It was in God's mind, if we can speak of the mind of God. It was in his desire from before the foundation of time. And he knew what he would do, and he knew the plan, and he knew how he would reveal it, and it would be exposed, how it would be lived out, and how it would be redeemed at the end, all things would be completed, everything would be fulfilled, and then God would bring man into the fullness of everything he's wanted. 
I like to say we've had a taste of God. But wow, what it's going to be. In the next part of this chapter, we talk about the new Jerusalem. Then we move on into chapter 22 and talk about the heaven that exists and all the things that are there. It's beyond beyond what our minds can fully conceive. It's God's purpose. There's nothing left to do. It's done. And we'll cover the rest of this in our next session.